Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for this special bonus episode of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into our conversation after a word from our sponsors. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer, and I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's On 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses, and there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at Macy's.com slash ownyourstyle. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Today, we have special guest Tama Watts, a licensed marriage and family therapist with an inspiring story. Tama shares how her life took an unexpected turn after suffering a neurological injury following a routine surgery, which left her unable to return to the work she loved. However, through this challenging experience, she rediscovered her passion for birdwatching. In today's episode, she opens up about how birdwatching became therapeutic for her, allowing her to connect with nature, practice mindfulness, and find purpose and joy in observing birds. She also gives us a peek inside her latest book, Keep Looking Up, your guide to the powerful healing of birdwatching. Tama's story is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the healing power of nature. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Or join us over in the sister circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tama. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
I'm very excited to chat with you today. If you feel comfortable, can you tell us a little bit about you kind of started bird watching after a surgery? Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what life was like for you in the immediate aftermath of the surgery? Yes, certainly. The best way I can answer that question is to say how my life was, because that's what I feel like created a dissension for me, descending into a deep, deep depression and other related conditions. I was very busy. I was a mental health administrator working 60, 70 hours at a time. And even though I didn't identify myself with what my profession is and what I do and give back as part of my profession, I realized that after the injury following the surgery, needing to abruptly stop work, it wasn't planned, it was sudden, really created a loss of what it was I was doing in my profession. Yes, I'm a mother, grandmother, but for some reason, that immediate loss of that 60, 70 in need in terms of offering care for others and support, I came into a deep depression. In addition to that was the severe pain of the condition that I had, which is chronic regional pain syndrome. It still is considered rare. When I first contracted it, it wasn't fully understood. It was still emerging as acceptance of what it was. And so I went through a lot of trials and errors and as with medical visits and medications that just further descended me in a sense of hopelessness. Like there's nothing that can be done. I'm doomed. And so that's where I was. I had shame associated with not being able to function as I used to. At one point, I couldn't even hold a pen without it shaking terribly or pick up, I say, a stray dime because it was flat on the surface or brush my teeth even, just carry a pan of water. Things you take for granted quite often, I lost that. And so it was very apparent to me how debilitated I was. And that further descended into more depression and stress and anxiety because of the loss of everything. In my mind, at that time, that's what it felt like. And it became very dark for me and very isolating. Like the world was continuing to go on, but I was in this house. I didn't see it as a home. It was just this space. I couldn't walk. I couldn't exercise like I used to. It was a lot. It was a lot. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that you turned to, it sounds like, was bird watching. So can you talk a little bit about, do you remember your first time when you went bird watching? Was it an intentional kind of thing? Did it just happen? What do you remember about that first time? I kind of have like a two aspects about my connection with birds and bird watching. So I have my connection as a young girl growing up early on with chickens and my duck, my pet duck. So I had that, I feel like that was the root of foundation that was always in me. And both my parents spent time outdoors, took us outdoors as children. And so I feel like that was in my cells and contained in me, even though beyond that in adulthood, I was so busy here, there and everywhere. I didn't pay attention to birds at all during a number of years. So then in later years, in the more recent times, I would say, because of the debilitating pain depression, the anxiety, the loss. And there was a lot of loss and grief about all of this. One of the days, it was in the morning, I was trying to fill a medium-sized pan of water and it was shaking in my hands, but I was doing it. And I happened to look up out of my kitchen window, up at a tree. And we have a tree that early on when we moved in here, we had dirt, we planted a little tree. So I happened to look out and there was this yellow 
moving through the trees. And so at first I thought it was those yellow blossoms on the tree, but something different was moving. And I looked up and I saw it was this little yellow bird. At the time, I didn't know what it was called, but it's called a yellow warbler. Mm. So they're buttery yellow. And then they have a little bit of red streaking on their chest. The male birds do. And that's what that was. So there's this yellow sticking out, moving around, coming to drink. And it happened to look at me just for a split second, probably. It could have felt like time stopped. It felt like it just stared at me. It casted beams of sunshine all over my soul. Because literally in that second, there was this different connection that created a connection to life, to possibilities, to the outside, to like, there is life. Part of this is me processing this after, but at the time it caught me like this. And then I began to notice it come. And so every time I would go to the kitchen, which for me, I'm in the kitchen a lot, maybe more than I should. But I'm in the kitchen looking, and I started to look up every single time. And it became habit over many weeks and months. And I would see it, and I would see it again. And now I know this was during spring migration when the yellow warblers come through in Southern California. So it really drew me outdoors, and I went outside. I was curious. I began to notice other birds, many that now live all the year round, like doves, house finches, for folks who may or may not know about those. And they tend to be more browns. When you start to notice, you notice all kinds of variations. And so that began to help ease me out little by little, a minute at a time, ease my way outdoors and noticing birds. And so that's the connection. Mm, what a beautiful story. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if there was also a connection to your childhood, right? When things were simpler and less complicated, right? Since you already had a connection to birds. Right. And the interesting thing is, my mother was always ahead of her time. She was a maverick woman, beautiful. And she's still alive with us. She's 91 years. Then she was way ahead of her time, the daughter of an AME minister, but she was like all over the place doing other things unconventionally. So she wanted us to have a farm. And so this little yellow duck, when I picked it out at the feed store, it was bright yellow. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make that connection really, but but I feel like that's why I shared that originally. Like I think the foundation had been set way back so that I could then have that much needed assistance. Right, right. So can you say a little bit more about what the bird watching did for you trying to manage the chronic pain? So you've already said it kind of helped to draw you out. In what other ways do you feel like it was helpful to you? It reduced the amount of time that I was inwardly focused on the dark spots and spaces of what I had lost, of my losses. And it really created a lot of curiosity and that there was these unknown appearances that were coming. And when that happens, that really is diversion from your energy and focus away from what isn't going well, what isn't happening for you necessarily, like for me, speak for myself in that regard. And in doing that, we now know neurologically, physiologically, we can reduce the sensations of like pain and symptoms of depression in that process. So that's what it has done for me. And that's in the home space. I then became so curious that I got a guidebook to kind of figure out what are these birds I'm seeing. And then I began to feel confident enough to walk around in my neighborhood. So I began to go outdoors and get move my body even a little bit in the way that I could. I'm not running. I wasn't walking briskly like maybe other folks. But for me to go out 
and get in that fresh air that we now know is also helpful for reducing symptoms of depression, anxiety, stress, even a few minutes versus staying indoors all the time made a difference. So doing that over time, I'm not necessarily going for a walk. I was going to go see what birds I could find. I'm walking. I'm moving. I'm staying out a little longer. And you know, if I have to pause and lean up against a fence or sit down on a stoop or something, I do that without feeling you're not doing it right or you can't go the full way. It's like I go in the way that I can. So that allowed me to develop more physical stamina. So at the same time, I'm kind of getting the benefits of both and I'm seeing other birds. I began to feel more confident. And this is over a number of years because of my debilitation that I was beginning to improve and improve. I finally decided like, I'm gonna join a local Audubon chapter and Audubon is a bird conservation environmental organization. They've been around since the late 1800s, early 1900s. And so they, in different states, they have local chapters throughout the states. And so I wanted to join one. thought, how am I going to do this? I don't want to just show up. I'm not a birder. I don't look a lot of these folks. This is uncomfortable. But yet I wanted to be able to learn more and be in a community with others that had similar interests. And so I decided to attend what's called the Christmas Bird Count. It's an annual event where all over North America, people join in teams and they count the birds they see during a designated two weeks in December, usually. All of that is tabulated with researchers and scientists to see patterns of what species may be in decline, what rarities may be showing up because of climate change, weather, whatever the reasons. It really gives a picture, a snapshot of what's going on. So you're contributing to a broader, greater space than yourself. And then being in community, the power of community is profound. And so being with folks that maybe some of them, or a lot of them know more than you do. A lot of them knew when I first started, they knew all the birds. And I was just finding joy in just being around others and in that space. Now I'm basically a bird lady for sure. But that's how it grew and grew is that feeling of connection that the birds invited me to go further out and to connect more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And some yeah. of that community science that you're talking about, I can imagine kind of feel some of that need to kind of give back in the same ways that you were doing in your practice. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like you just know, and it's, you know, it's what you can do, right? I mean, you're one of several. And that's what right. I talk about in the book is like a flock is one of many And in a flock, birds will fly, like if you see geese flying in that V formation or pelicans, you know, certain species of birds, there's one in front and then you have the V so that they can cut the wind. Well, that one in front is leading the rest, but then it gets tired. It can slip back into place and another one will take its place and carry the journey on for the group. And so that's what I say. And flocks will flock together with different species, some that eat on the ground, some that eat in the trees. And so those in the trees can look for predators and warn the ones on the ground. And when they're mixed together, there's more numbers in a flock. So they present safety for themselves against predation from others, predators, animals, and whatnot. So that power of community, which is why I named that chapter, Birdwatching in Your Community Flock, that powerful sense of belonging is huge. And we know that that too helps with reduction in depression, stress, Mm -hmm. all kinds of benefits of being in community. Right, right. So besides the power of community, what other kinds of lessons do you feel like the birds have taught you? 
so many. I learn all the time every day about them too. They've taught me to really accept me and myself. They're non-judgmental is how I see birds, that they're non-judgmental. Now they may not like you, you know, storming out because <laughs> they'll take flight if you come storming out, but they're not judging you. They're just responding to you. I feel like birds represent that. It's a reminder for us to just pause and take notice of what happens to come by, whether that's a flyby, a landing on a balcony ledge or in a bush or up in a tree. It's just a reminder to say, just take a moment and notice like what is around. It really is for me a reminder of gratitude, of self-acceptance. It's like, we'll accept you how you are. Sometimes I'm out there in my pajamas. The birds will accept you anyway, and they're everywhere. So there's that reminder can be for everyone. So that's what, for me, birds remind us that we belong here just like they belong here. Part of it is when you feed birds and offer them water, it's a sense of also doing self-care. There's a sense of a beneficial, mutual relationship that you develop when you feed birds. But even a little hummingbird feeder, usually the same little hummingbird will come over time. So you develop this relationship of caring. And trust me, a hummingbird, if it goes empty, if anybody has a hummingbird feeder and it goes empty, those little hummingbirds are looking zippy, like, where's, where, where's our food? Where are you? We need you. And so it really does reinforce like a sense of being needed. There's benefit to it. And so, like I say, in, in conservation, there's the saying, when we do better, birds do better. So those are some of the reminders. More from my conversation with Tama after the break. Attention all last-minute shoppers. Just a reminder that Mother's Day is May 12th. And if you're like me, you're still trying to figure out the perfect gift for the amazing moms in your life. But no worries, Macy's has got you covered. They've got gift guides to make shopping a breeze. Whether you're looking for the perfect pieces for your fashionista mom or for your best friend who's celebrating her very first Mother's Day this year, you can shop by price, by category, and they even have specialty lists to help focus you even more, like a list for the mom who has it all and a list of items that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted. Right now, some of this year's hottest items include digital picture frames and Polaroid cameras. With the help of their gift guides, I'm sure you'll find just the right thing. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. 
Yeah, so you've already kind of outlined a couple of the mental health benefits. So, you know, you talked about like a reduction in stress, reduction in the pain. What other mental health benefits have you found related to bird watching? I find that a lot of folks that I talk with feel a sense of reduction of their depression. Also a sense of there's something more beyond you, the person going through a dark time. And like I said, and you can show up to notice it just how you are. So if you can't get up off the sofa right now, or you can look through a window, hopefully, or look through a door. It also creates a sense of belonging like we've talked about. And there's, you know, new research that shows birdsong does help with the symptoms of reduction in stress, a sense of calm, that the sound of birds creates a sense of calm for us that kind of is linked to our natural sense of the natural world, green spaces, blue spaces. And so hearing birdsong, particularly in the afternoon, has been found to be really beneficial for those kinds of symptoms of mental health, depression, anxiety, stress. So those are some of the benefits. And spending time just noticing birds in the afternoon as well. So that's one of the, I think, a benefit. Like you don't have to just go look at birds in the morning. Some people think, oh, you have to get up really at the dawn and do it. Not necessarily. So what does your bird watching practice look like? Is it something that you do daily, weekly? What does it look like? It's definitely daily. And it takes all different kinds of forms. I think I'm considered like a hybrid type person. And that's part of what I want to like share with folks that you can do birding the way you want to do it. It doesn't have to stick to this concept that you have to have the ad in certain colors and certain ways. But every day I go out and sit with the birds. Sometimes it's 10 minutes, five minutes. And other times it's a couple of hours. When I can, I'll even work outdoors when I'm writing or working on a project that I can just take my laptop out there and do that at the table doors, I'll do that. And I'm watching birds as I'm working. So to me, that's like the best office space that I can get away with that. If not, I'll look through the window and notice because I have a hummingbird feeder hanging up near a tree out near a window. And then I'll also at times go on outings that are sponsored by the local chapter of Audubon that I'm a member of. It helps invite me into spaces that I may not know about otherwise. So I learned about new trails, new parks, and a lot of the guides are very knowledgeable. And so they may say, oh, there's the species coming through that's rare. Like there's birds that get flown off course and they're very rare in certain regions, depending on where you live. And so people may not otherwise see it. So this is an opportunity to go do that. And that's called chasing a bird, going after the bird. Like specifically, I want to go see this one particular bird that only here like for me to see a cardinal would be a huge thing like that would be stop everything go see the cardinal or like here's an example early january did you hear about the snowy owl that was in orange county california i did, I did. yeah see how i mean it hit the <laughs> international i mean it was international news right yeah so i went up because i live in okay. san diego county i took my granddaughter and so that's the other piece of this that's beneficial. When I can, I will take my granddaughter's, my birding buddy that I can <laughs> coax into going with me. And so she's kind of got the bug too. But this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity to see a snowy owl that normally is up way north, like Alaska, way north in North America. And during this period of time, it might descend in the lower parts of Canada. But here it was in LA County, Orange County. So, so many people were literally, I hate to use this term, but they were flocking. I mean, they were in the street. They were all over the sidewalk. 
So to be a part of something that really was historical. So you'll find me doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's like a blend. And that's the thing I like. It's like when I choose to do it, I'll sometimes go with somebody else. A lot of times I'll walk on a trail where I live and just see what I see by myself. And then when I want to, I can join a whole community of people. I do volunteer for Audubon in a couple of capacities as well. So it has grown for me in terms of how I should contribute back. So there might be an event, like a wetlands event down in the main part of San Diego County to really restore that back to the indigenous lands, which also benefits birds and habitat as well. So that might bring hundreds of people, just like the Snowy Owl brought hundreds of people in events around that. So you can pick and choose when you want to lean in more or just decide to do it as like a solitude and just do something that's special just for yourself. Mm-hmm. I know that was a long answer. No, that's that's <laughs> fine. But but I am curious, though, so for people who are enjoying the conversation and they want to get started with bird watching, like what what do you do? Like, do you just go outside in your neighborhood? Like, how do you actually get started bird watching? OK, well, first, I want to just say, you know, don't worry about feeling as though it's for old folks. Because a lot of people think like birding is just for old folks and it's not. So I just want to start there, you know, that it's for every age. Birding is accepting of everyone. So to really get started, honestly, you just need a few minutes of your time. I say give yourself at least 10 minutes if you can. And if you can go outside, just please step outside where the birds are. So you don't have to go far. So if we're saying at home, Step out and wait and just, you can sit, I would say sit, unless you want to stand. and But try to do so as quietly as you can. Just enter the space as though you're an uninvited guest. Because the longer you sit outside or, or spend time outside, the birds will start to emerge because they start to feel like everything's quiet and safe. And then you'll notice even more birds come forward for you. So the longer you can be out there, you'll start to notice more movement and sounds come forward again. There you are. You're birding. You're enjoying birds. And then for someone, maybe you can't go outside, but you look out of the window and just keep looking out. You'll eventually maybe notice a bird that way because your mind's thinking about, I'm going to look and see if I see any birds. And then you probably will notice one. Or you might hear one, a crow. Maybe it's a raven. It's hard to sometimes tell between a crow and a raven, but you'll hear that or a dove you know, or finches. I want to invite folks to see that as you have started to engage with them because you're taking notice in the way that you can. I mean, I sometimes notice when I'm driving somewhere, I'll see a big bird sitting up on a lamppost or a light or something. And I'll look and say, what is that? You know, so you can do it in different ways, but really to get started, that really is what you need is time. And then if you really want to lean in a little more, then I would invite you to consider buying binoculars because binoculars allow you to see the birds in more detail. Mm-hmm. And someone like myself, I have poor vision. So it really helps me to really see a lot of details, which helps for more appreciation of a bird that you might think, oh, it's just a plain old brown bird. What am I? Then you'll begin to see, no, there's like three or four different colors or shades of brown, or there's some other color in there that you hadn't seen. And it lets you see birds further away from you as well, brings them up close. So whatever your budget and what you'd like to spend or the binoculars range across the board, and you can just go from there. I invite folks, if you want to, there's apps that you can download that are free, like eBird, Merlin, 
that's for sales and ID. Audubon has an app and those can help tell you what kind of bird you're looking at. If you want to start get curious that way and kind of broaden it, or you can actually get a book, a guidebook. Mm-hmm. This has pictures of the different birds where you can find them. So it becomes almost like a detective story because you try to figure out, well, is it this bird or is it that? And that's a great way to engage children too. Mm-hmm. Not for long at first. It's piquing their curiosity. Like, I wonder what kind of bird that is. Right. So, right. yeah, that's how you get started. Mm-hmm. So can you do this in the city as well? Or do people need to travel to like the countryside or, you know, a more rural area to do bird watching? That's a great question. And the answer is yes, you can bird anywhere. Anywhere, anywhere. And I know that a lot of people feel like that because there's, you know, sounds and movement and too much moving and not as much green space or water around so that it feels like, well, it's just a lot of not that. So then the birds aren't there. It is true. Birds are attracted to trees and bushes, but birds still are around. So you will see them. You really will see them in all the spaces. And that's what I like about birds. They're accessible around the world. They don't care what you do or do not have what you look like, what you are wearing for the most part. But again, if you're out there in a white t-shirt and that's what you want to do, that's fine. Birds are still going to come and they're free. They're flying free and they're free to us to notice and get the benefits from them and that mutual exchange too. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned if possible to wear more muted clothes because that may kind of help you blend in more to the background. Is there anything else we should be mindful of? You mentioned kind of entering an environment quietly. Any other suggestions around how we're supposed to interact or behave around birds? I think those are the two. Just if you can wear colors that kind of reflect the natural environment, like you're saying, that's why you see folks dressed that way because you're blending in, you're acknowledging kind of the earth elements, if you will. And then If you're going out into a space, if you can, just remember to walk out slowly, like an uninvited guest who's just being like, well, let me enter this space so they can get used to knowing who I am. Because the birds over time will get to know you. They do get to know you. Like I'm able to walk slowly where the birds don't necessarily fly away because they say, oh, it's her, especially if you feed them. Yeah. So are they knowing you through smell? Like, how are they, like, developing a relationship with you? I think just from sight. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, they see, like, if you have a bag with the bird seed or Mm. peanuts or what, crows like peanuts, by the way, (laughs) in the shell, not salt. But anyway, they're very smart. And so they do see that. So they make that association, like, oh, this is the food lady. So if you move gently around... And I tend to walk on the perimeter on the edges of my yard, too. Sometimes they won't take off if I walk very slowly. So they kind of help me slow down. And so that's how they build in that mindfulness for me. It's almost like you can kind of do it as an experiment. Like, let me see if I can walk from here to there and not have the doves are a good one to use and not have the doves fly off. Mm -hmm. And the first, you know, until they get to know you. Got it. Got it. So, Tama, I do want to talk a little bit about like black people in like our relationship to nature and specifically birding. Right. So we know that there was a pretty well advertised incident of a black man in New York birding who had the police called on him. Right. And so I do think that that kind of contributes to some of our reluctance to kind of engage in these kinds of spaces. What kinds of things do you think are important for our community to really know about our relationship to nature and birds specifically? That's an important question. Yes, 
it is unfortunate that that happened with Christian Cooper. And it's, you know, sadly, that wasn't the first time. So we know that there's a history of a message being sent that we shouldn't be in certain spaces. And what I want to say about that is, and I'm pulling this also from my own immediate ancestors, et cetera, and our people, is we have a right to be in these spaces. Our ancestors are who gave guidance as to how to be on the land, how to tend the land, how to care for the land. And we have to remind ourselves that is our given stance. And with that, yes, we need to keep ourselves safe. And so if that means not going by yourself, if that means creating a buddy system and going together so you feel safe. I I really want to emphasize that you have to go out in the way that each one of us feels safe. What might feel safe for me may not feel safe for you, may not feel safe for another person. Rightly so, each of us. And it's to acknowledge that there are folks that feel threatened from us in terms of their insecurities, their constructs. It's their problem that ends up making it ours. But what I want to encourage folks is to have that acknowledgement. So I'm not saying, you know, being naive about risk to us as people. At the same time, I really want to underscore the importance for us to remember what our ancestors represented and gifted to us in terms of their knowing that we have in us that same knowing that we have a right and really, I want to say almost a necessity to take care of ourselves by being back on the land, go outside, be outside. You're supposed to be there. And this is why I'm wearing this. I don't know if you can see it, but it's the Sankofa bird, which represents casting back to our ancestors. I got this in Mali. It was gifted to me, and this is important. We have to remember that our connection with the land, with birds, of all domesticated and otherwise, goes through history and time beyond us. And besides like traveling in groups or bringing a buddy, are there other things you would suggest for safety? Well, if you want to go, you know, yourself, letting someone know what your plan is, how long you anticipate to go, carry your phone with you for sure. Carry a whistle if you'd like. If you're going to a park, a state park, for example, check in with the ranger station as another layer. Take the time to do all of these. And that doesn't take long to just sign in on the sheet that you're there in the park. We're talking state parks and whatnot, where you might want to venture out on your own or even with others. You still should. I really highly recommend just go into the ranger station, sign in so they know you're on the property somewhere. And there's usually some valuable information that you can get while you check in. There might be a certain bobcat sighting or bear sighting that you need to be aware of so that you adjust your course. There might be other information that's helpful for you to enjoy spending the time there or some special offering or event that you might not have known if you hadn't checked in. Check before you leave your home. Go online and look at the space you want to go to. Do they have the things you need? For some folks that have additional needs that they have, do they have a bathroom? Is there accessible parking? What are the type of roads or trails? You know, Are they steep? Are they flat? Is it smooth? Because some folks that use wheels, and by wheels, I mean everything from wheelchairs to strollers to bikes. Can you do that? If you advise someone who's going with you for the first time, I also really emphasize reduce the amount of time you do it the first time because there's time spent getting there, planning, being there, and then time to get back. And so you want to account for all of that. Do you need your medication? Do you need layers of clothing depending on the weather? So checking some of that 
And it's not to feel like, oh, that's all burdensome. You can do that very quickly online a lot of the times. And you can get in the habit of doing it. So it doesn't take away from the fun. In doing that, it prepares you to have even more fun. And then if you're really traveling distances that you're unfamiliar with, there are people that can be your guides that you can pay a small fee for. And some of them are offered free. You just have to reach out and try to coordinate with someone that can go with you, that knows the terrain, knows the area. If you're wanting to connect with birds in particular, in addition to maybe spending time out and other wildlife, but you're really wanting to see birds, people that are local to an area, let's say you're traveling to Costa Rica or somewhere to another park or outside where you normally live, connecting with others. And a lot of people volunteer their time because when they come to your space, they'll ask you, could you show me around in your city, your town? as well. So again, it's that reciprocal relationship. And then that can increase your sense of safety because it's you're with someone that knows and they also know what they're looking for. So also increase your enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you for that, Tama. More from my conversation with Tama after the break. Attention all last minute shoppers. Just a reminder that Mother's Day is May 12th. And if you're like me, you're still trying to figure out the perfect gift for the amazing moms in your life. But no worries, Macy's has got you covered. They've got gift guides to make shopping a breeze. Whether you're looking for the perfect pieces for your fashionista mom or for your best friend who's celebrating her very first Mother's Day this year, you can shop by price, by category, and they even have specialty lists to help focus you even more like a list for the mom who has it all and a list of items that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted. Right now, some of this year's hottest items include digital picture frames and Polaroid cameras. With the help of their gift guides, I'm sure you'll find just the right thing. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity. That it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. And to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So I have a couple of rapid fire questions that I want to ask you. You've already answered a couple of these. I want to see if you have some additional insight to give us here. So can you tell me the rarest bird you've seen? Was it the snowy owl or something else? That's a good question. I think it might be now. The snowy owl. And I also saw an ani. It looks a lot like a raven. And a raven looks like a bigger crow with a, the beak is a little different, but they look so close. But just imagine like a big, big crow, like a raven. But this one had a oddly shaped beak. And that bird is really from deep in South America. 
And it was up here at a local park. And it was hard to find. And people kept saying, we have to go several times. And I found it. (laughs) (laughs) So before, I would have said maybe that bird before now the snowy owl. So you're right. I think I'm going to have to, if I have to only say one, I guess I am going to say the snowy owl. Okay. So tell me when you set off on an adventure to find a special kind of bird, was this also the snowy owl or what other adventures have you gone on in search of a particular bird? So yes, the convenience of the snowy owl is, yes, it took me two hours to get there. You know, I'm in San Diego County. It's in Orange County. So that was a bit of a trek, but that wasn't like too much. And I talk about this in my book in the chapter called Migration, Bird Watching in My Environment. And I kind of mean that environment, meaning travel, when you really start to go far, farther out beyond your home and your neighborhood. And so I talk about in that chapter, because each chapter opens with a story of mine. And so the story I chose to share in that was to see the tufted puffins that come in once a year for about four and a half months. They fly into Oregon, on the coast of Oregon, in a town called Cannon Beach. And they land on this large monolith that's grassy, has burring. And for generations, these birds come from sea. They spend the rest of the time out at sea. People don't really even know what they do at sea. They spend the whole time out. And then around April, they come in to nest. And they usually have one little bird, which is called a puffling, which is and it's a cute little ball of fur. And then around April, May, June, July, around July, August, maybe September, they fly back out to sea again. And then they repeat that the next year. So to catch them, you have to go at a certain time. They're on this huge monolith, which is difficult to see. I mean, there's abundance of them at certain peak times of the year. And so as a little girl, I always thought they were the most interesting little birds. And if you, for folks that may not know, a puffin looks almost like a penguin, but with more white in its face and orange, like a reddish orange and yellow triangular type shaped beak. And they kind of look very odd kind of penguin-esque type. <laughs> so as a kid, that was so appealing to me. I'd see them in the National Geographic. And most puffins are in like Iceland and other locations far, far away. So I thought one of these days I am going to go see one. I'm going to have to find a way to go to this far, far away land. And like I advise in my book, when you're going on a trip, why not take a look at your route and see if there's any bird sanctuaries, state parks, Something along the lines that you might find that there's birds there that you want to see along the way. You might take 15 minutes out of your day or a couple of hours on your way to your journey. And so I did that. I was taking my son up to eastern Washington, the state of Washington, to spend some time at a family property, a friend's property, for him to work on it during the summer. And so I thought, well, what sanctuary, what parks, what wildlife place can I stop along the way and see? And so then I thought, well, I have to come back down to south again to California. So what's along the coast over there? And that's when I learned that there's tufted puffins there. So I made a whole plan and trip around fulfilling my childhood dream of seeing these birds. And so that's what I did. I had an ocean view. I made sure to get a nice little suite, had a little fireplace in there. It had a patio so I could see right on the beach. It was a couple days. It wasn't long once I got there. But I just said, you know what? I'm going to give myself It was self-care. It was Mm -hmm. like my own retreat, just a little time away by myself. And I walked around the little town and met up with a guide. I planned ahead and I called a nonprofit organization that helps you 
learn about the puffins. It's called Haystack Rock. And so I connected with her, Jessie, which she's mentioned in the book. And she was able to show and guide me and help me see the birds and understand about them because I really wanted to make sure I did. And so this is something that everyone can consider too. It was a really nominal fee to be able to have a deeper appreciation for this childhood dream I had. So I also recommend that again, you know, some will volunteer to do it. And that's what I did. Nice. That was a beautiful experience. So tell us a little bit, we've already talked a little about the book and kind of gotten a beautiful story really behind the name of the book, Keep Looking Up. So what can we look forward to in the book and how do you want readers to actually use the book? Oh, thank you. So the book, I really do have to say that there hasn't been a bird watching or birding book like this before. I guess I want folks to approach this though as more than, it's different than just your traditional birding book. So it is a narrative memoir. The power of story is very important to me. I know that that is a connector, soul to soul, for us to really have the opportunity to share our stories as part of healing, which is why in each chapter it opens with a personal story of mine related to that chapter's topic. Each chapter has a topic, and it has a subtitle topic related to the bird that really emphasizes and reinforces that connection between us as humans with what birds are and how they can gift to us and vice versa. There is a part of it that has some guidance in it. So there is a part that has, is like a mini guidebook per chapter. And then at the end of each chapter, there are reflective exercises. So this is where the clinical mental health therapist part of me came forward and really wanted to invite folks to help deepen your, the reader's connection with the chapter you just read. How does this apply for you? How can you integrate this in for you and have this relationship that's only unique to you and personal to you, which is so powerful? How does this reinforce and help lift your story? That's what the reflective exercises are for, is to connect in that way too. So, and there is that piece of it that I'm really wanting to emphasize, a way of acknowledging depression and stress and loss and grief of loved ones, anxiety, all of those that often have a lot of stigma attached to them. I was called, I felt like I was called to the stories came up. It was not easy to write about them and including regarding my mother with her Alzheimer's. But I know too many people I speak to that have know someone or they are the caregiver and what that is about. And there's the joy and the love in that as well as the challenges being an appropriate love, caring for a loved one. I wanted to address these real life experiences in a way that invites others to feel that they can too. Hmm. And how the connection with birds is what can really invite you to, as you choose to, it's another strategy or a tool, you know, in, in, as therapists, we talk about what does your toolbox look like? What is in your toolbox? What, you know, when you're feeling depressed, what can you reach in the toolbox and pull out to help you? Is it take a walk? Is it to journal? Is it to take a nap? Is it your medication? And so I say, can you take a few moments and notice the birds? Because again, we now know that that can help. Just take a moment, be in the present moment instead of worrying about what you didn't do yesterday or a few moments ago or what you're going to do. It helps you get mindful now. You've answered that beautifully. Thank you for that. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and you can use it in different ways. So you can use it and there are exercises that you can go back and use. That's the other thing. Thank you. And you can go back and use the exercises time and time again. That's the other piece that I really want to emphasize that it's, it's not a one time and it's done. You can go back mm -hmm. and use it as much as you'd like. Perfect. I think that'll be a beautiful addition for a lot of people's toolboxes. I'm really glad that you wrote it and shared those stories with us. So where can we stay connected with you? What is your website as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? So my website is TamilWatts.com. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. Well, not a lot of time, but that's where I am. I'm still trying to get caught up on social media. And I am connected. I'm on the board of Audubon, California. So I cross over in those spaces. You'll see me offering webinars like on Mindful Bird Sit coming up. It's a four-part series through Audubon, California in conjunction with them. You'll see that me, I'm associated with that. But I think going to TamilWatts.com is a great way to just keep up with where I am at, what's offered. I try to make sure to share that information so folks that might want to partake some of those webinars to kind of get a sense of what birds are about will have that opportunity. Okay. And where can we find the book? Can we also grab that from your website? The book is anywhere you buy books. So if you like to buy your book at a particular indie bookshop, please, you know, order it through there. Amazon, it's in trade paperback. It's an ebook. And now the audio will be released and I narrate it. So it's great. And there is a meditation in there, mindful meditation in the book too, that I narrate. They can listen to it. So anywhere you buy books, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, everywhere. It's being released worldwide. Got it. Well, we will definitely include all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. It was fun. I love talking about birds and especially with you, Dr. Joy. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. I'm so grateful to Tama for joining us today. To learn more about her incredible work or to grab a copy of Keep Looking Up, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash birdwatching. And don't forget to text two of your girls to tell them to check out the episode as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Dennis and Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. <laughs>